They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Yep, we're back. Um, dang, we didn't decide on any banter before we started. Well, slight delay. This time it's my fault because I was feeling a little under the weather yesterday. But uh, don't worry, you'll get your your fit your weekly fix pretty soon. Yeah, as soon as the episode's edited. Well, as soon as we finish recording it and then edit it. Yes. I don't think there was really much. There was a new Barbie trailer that came out yesterday, which I'm assuming you didn't watch. Nope. Yeah. Still looks pretty good. Pretty fun. Really looks like a live action uh, Lego movie still, which is fine by me because I love the Lego movie. So I don't care. Well, I'll tell you what I did watch is the PlayStation Showcase. And I know that our our listenership is not really heavy on gamers, but I thought that there was some pretty cool stuff showed off. I'm really excited for Spider-Man 2, uh, Dragon's Dogma 2. I've, I love Dragon's Dogma, so I'm really excited about the potential for a sequel. Um, they're going to remake one of the most poorly written games to ever scourge our screens in Metal Gear Solid 3. Uh, I do not apologize for that. Uh, what else was there? Not a whole lot. I don't know. I didn't really watch. You didn't yeah. watch it? No, I watched the Spider-Man 2 gameplay afterwards, but I didn't watch the showcase itself. Because there's not really any games that are coming out that I'm incredibly excited for. So, you know, if I thought they were going to show Bloodborne 2, I would have watched, but I did not think they were going to do that. And indeed, they did not. Yep, they did not. I was correct. <laughs> wow. Well, there was also there was a game called Phantom Blade Zero, which people are describing as... I did watch the trailer for this, and it looked pretty cool. And people are describing it as Ghost of Tsushima plus Bloodborne. So that's, that's something. Uh, oh, there were a lot of really... indies, like the Plucky Squire. That looks really interesting. Um... Ellie, with all this video game talk, you're going to alienate our core audience of movie nerds. <laughs> of dad's friends. Yeah, our core audience of my buddies from Ames. They don't play video games. Sorry, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm really excited for Dragon's Dogma 2 because I really like Dragon's Dogma. And uh, there was so a lot of rumors about the sequel. What? What? That's so exciting. You know, I'm so happy that you're excited about that, Elliot. <laughs> Don't make me look up a list of everything that was announced and just read it off. <laughs> Don't do that. Okay, anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about movies. Instead of all this video game nonsense, let's talk about movies. So, this is our 50th episode. Very exciting. We, all of the haters said we wouldn't ever make it. They were wrong. We did make it. <laughs> But we always, every 10 episodes, we try to do a bit of a, a fun episode, not a movie review, but a kind of a goofy, quirky little thing instead. And Elliot came up with this one, so if it sucks, you can bash him. My idea was for a call-in show, so if ever, if you feel like a call-in show would be really fun, send in, send in your support for my amazing idea. <laughs> um... But, Elliot, do you want to run down kind of what we're going to do today? You came up with this idea, so what? Uh, what's what's the plan? Uh, this episode is about movies that we want to be made. So not movies that we're looking forward to that are 
confirmed and in production, but stories that we have heard uh, either in books or in real life, video games, whatever you've got, just stories that we feel w could be made into good movies. So this is Magellan's at the, I don't know, future of movies, something like that. Um, it's a pretty simple concept. We've both written up a list of some some stories that we think are fit for the silver screen. I actually have one that's already a movie, uh, but it's just a, a remake of that, so that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, I've got books here. I've got um, a video game here. Got some uh, historical stuff. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good time. I don't know what Nathan has. We have not shared our list with each other beforehand, so this is all gonna be a surprise. Well, some of them won't be a surprise because some of them you know that I want to see this made. That that's it, man. That that's all there is to it. There, there's not much to explain. <laughs> yeah, I I do think I want to highlight here. These are. And what I really want to discuss in terms of when I was thinking about making this list is why do I think this would be a good movie? Because I feel like all of us can see, I feel like I see it all the time where there's like a minor character. I think the one that comes to mind is like Ana de Armas in No Time to Die. And everyone's like, oh, I'd love to see a spinoff with this character. And... I see stuff like this all the time of, I'd love to see this movie. And it seems like the idea is just, I enjoyed it in whatever form it was before, right? I enjoyed the scene she's in, in No Time to Die. But I, ju I just want this episode to be a bit more committed to a deeper idea of why do we think this would make a good movie? Why do we think it should be a movie? Why do we think it, like, if it's a book, why do we think there should be a movie of this book as opposed to just the book, right? So that's that's the question I'm going to ask, Elliot. Every time you say one, I'm going to ask that question, and you better have a good answer. Otherwise, I'm cutting your entire part from this episode. Dang. <laughs> you seem really torn up. All right, well, you can start, Elliot. You can go first. Bit of a trial by fire here. Pressure's on. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start with that movie that's already a movie. <clears throat> and my first one is a remake of Seventh Seal. Uh, so Seventh Seal is a German movie by Ingmar Bergman about a knight returning home from the Crusades to his homeland that is in the grip of the Black Plague. And he's challenged... No, Death, like the personification of death, comes to him and says, it's your time. And the knight says, no, the knight challenges death to a chess match. Um, the idea being that if he wins, then death will leave him alone for the time being. It's And it's a lot about religion and about this guy's, the knight's desire for assurances of life after death, of a reward for his good works and of punishment for the ill turns of others. It's a really strong conceit. The only problem is that it is not very well realized in this movie. There's a lot of extraneous time wasting on stuff that is only really tangentially related to the plot and barely related to like the theme that this movie is trying to establish. So I think that making a, remaking it with more of a focus on the actual dialogue between the knight and death and the knight and his home his homeland because the knight disappears for long stretches of the story and i just can't express to you how poor of a decision i found that so more focus on the knight more focus basically on the core conceit of the movie less nonsense with a traveling troop of jesters that I couldn't care less about, less about the knight's frankly sociopathic uh, man-at-arms, just more about the actual stuff that's interesting about the movie and about the story that it's trying to tell. Um, and I also thought for these movies we could uh, give kind of a rough draft 
or a rough sketch of who we think would make for a good like principal creative team. Uh, so for this, I thought that David Lowry, director of The Green Knight, I think that based on his work with The Green Knight, I think that he could make a slow, introspective, thought-provoking movie like this. And then I thought that Death could be played by Mads Mikkelsen, because Mads Mikkelsen is kind of terrifying, uh, and he's a, also just a very good actor. And then for the night, I was I was imagining maybe like Josh Brolin or somebody who's got that, who's got the strong physicality, but can also display vulnerability and fear. That's all I got. Well, that's it. Well, if we haven't alienated all of our movie nerd fans by now, surely you suggesting we should remake one of the most acclaimed films in the history of cinema is going to do it. I do agree with almost everything you're saying, that the movie is kind of uh, distracted. I think fans of the movie would probably argue that the stuff with his squire and the traveling troop is related to the main conceit of the movie, which is, you know, they can say that and we can say the opposite. I think I sort of agree. I did think about movies that I would want to be remade. And the one that I landed on in terms of movies that I would love to see a remake, and this is going to be even more controversial, I think, than your pick, is I would love to see a remake of Star Wars A New Hope (laughs) because I think if they remade New Hope, they could make some of the pieces fit together better between like the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. Elliot's making a face. He is, he's not coming on this ride with me. I don't think, but I think you could make a lot of the pieces fit together better than they do And more importantly, and this is kind of the big thing in my mind, we could recast the original three and then stop using horrifyingly terrible CGI to do Luke. And honestly, Leia too. And I mean, they haven't done a CGI Han yet, thankfully, but they wouldn't have to. And I just think it would be really interesting to see like as a fan of Star Wars, what a version of New Hope that has full knowledge of the full story of all nine films would kind of look like. I don't really have a director or anyone in mind that it's like, oh, they should do this because I don't think in a million years anyone would ever okay something like this. But I think it would be so fascinating to see. Um so that's mine. <laughs> that is a bold take, man. Um, I would be more inclined to remake the prequels before I remade A New Hope and make them fit better with the original than to try to rework the original to fit with the nonsense that George Lucas made. Whatever, man. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know how that would work. Um, I'm not sure about that one, to be honest. But, uh, say lovey, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll just keep moving right along. My next one is about a historical figure uh, who I think has been kind of underserved in popular culture. Um, so I'm looking for a movie about Leon Trotsky. Now, if you did not know... Leon Trotsky was, Nathan apparently did not know, (laughs) given the expression he's making, Um, Leon Trotsky was an instrumental figure in the Bolshevik Revolution. He was a big member of the Russian Communist Party. Uh, He worked very closely with Lenin and with Stalin. He was kind of the one who organized the Bolsheviks to begin with. So initially he was a Okay, there's a lot of context to this. The Russian Communist Party had two factions, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Bolshevik is Russian for majority. Menshevik is Russian for minority. 
Uh, Lenin made these factions because he was extremely petty and he called his faction the majority, even though it was actually the minority. So it's all very confusing. But Trotsky was initially a minority until Lenin came back at the tail end of World War I. Uh, he sort of converted to the Bolshevik side. And he was a big part of the Bolshevik Revolution, the organization that took part in it. And he was a really ideal. The reason that I think that this is a good movie is because Trotsky is such an interesting figure within this story. Like, Trotsky is the quintessential idealistic, high minded communist who sees what is becoming of this alleged utopia that he's trying to establish as Stalin takes power and starts converting it into an autocratic state. Um, so he has this really interesting fall from grace where Stalin banishes him and he flees to Europe and then eventually he gets assassinated. So he's got his story has such an interesting rise and fall to it where he's part of this his, history altering revolution um, with the Bolshevik revolution and with the earlier Russian revolutions uh, that preceded the Bolshevik one, because if you didn't know, there were like three that didn't really do much until they had one that got rid of the Tsar, and then the Bolshevik Revolution got rid of the government that replaced the Tsar. That's where Trotsky really came into his own. But it's just a really fascinating story to me how this man of high ideals and questionable ethics, because he he was he was not afraid of violence, how he negotiated his own relationship with the government that he was creating until that government turned on him and eventually ended up killing him. So I don't really have, I think in terms of directors, I think that people who have made like good biopics are people like Spielberg or Nolan, maybe depending on how Oppenheimer works out. Uh, and then, as for who could play Trotsky, he is, he is a very unassuming physical appearance. Um, so really, it's just anyone who's a talented actor and is a little bit on the dumpier side. Um, so my initial thought was Gary Oldman. Interesting. For, for the record, I do know who Trotsky is. I was aware before you started talking. I don't want you to make it seem like I'm an idiot. I, don't, I know who Trotsky is, Elliot. <laughs> Isn't he the one who got, like, erased from all of this stuff? Who's, like, famously erased from, like, pictures? Uh, probably. I don't know that I've ever seen that specifically, but that would definitely be in keeping with both the Soviet censorious style and the fate that Trotsky ended up meeting. Yeah, well, and doesn't he also, I seem to remember this just because it's a trivia question a lot. Wasn't he killed by an ice pick through his head or something like that? Um, I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Let me look it up, actually. I could have sworn it was, that he like flees to Panama or some Latin American country and then gets killed quite graphically if my memory serves. Uh, see, I'm pretty sure that he was, that actually what happened is he was stabbed with a poisoned umbrella. Oh, nope, you are correct. It, was, it wasn't it was an ice pick, it was an ice axe. Uh, so a, basically okay, a pickaxe. Yeah. And it wounded him initially, but event, but it was eventually what would kill him. There was somebody who was assassinated with, who was stabbed with an umbrella that the tip of which had been poisoned, but I guess it was somebody else that uh, ticked off Stalin. Dang, that's a, that's a crazy way to get killed. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's interesting. On the same sort of note, I guess, my, I guess I have two biopics that I would love to see made. Um, and the first one that's sort of related to yours would be a Leo Tolstoy bi biopic just because I am a huge fan of Tolstoy. 
He's a very famous Russian author. His two most famous movies have already been adapted to a reasonably high degree, I think. Like, if you want to just watch War and Peace or Anna Karenina instead of reading them, uh, the movies are pretty decent. But there's not really a good biopic about him. There is a movie about his last sort of, like, couple months of life, but I watched it and it's terrible. And Tolstoy was kind of fascinating because about halfway through or more than halfway through, I guess, like 20, 30 years before he died, he had a very dramatic religious conversion and became, in some historians' minds, the most important Russian figure besides like Lenin pre-revolution that he was incredibly influential. He started his own sort of religion cult thing. It wasn't really a cult, but it was named after him, so it seemed kind of cult-like. And I just think he's such a fascinating figure of how he ended up here, and then there's a lot of complexity in terms of how how he was trying to unite Russia, and he had this deep love of Russia, but at the same time, he was kind of kept from doing as much as he wanted by his his commitment to his family, his commitment to his wife, his commitment to writing and being an author kind of limited how much he was able to live out these grand aspirations that he had for the religious life of Russia. And so I think it would be fantastic. I think it would be really interesting In terms of, see, I did not write down creative teams when I did this, besides for one of them. But I think, yeah, just thinking of a good director, I honestly think, like, Ridley Scott has made a lot of really fantastic, long, epic sort of stories of historical figures. He's making another one with Napoleon this year. So honestly, I think Ridley Scott would do really well. And then Tolstoy is just an old guy with a beard for most of his life. So anyone with a huge beard could play him. Jack Black. Not Jack Black. Anyone who's not Jack Black and has a big beard. Fascinating stuff. Um, I don't know diddly squat about Tolstoy. I've never read anything he wrote. So I'm just going to assume that that's probably wrong because that's, um, that's generally how you roll. <laughs> uh, so I'm moving on into the territory of books that I think could make good movies. And I'm going to start off with one that I, I just recently read and was honestly kind of the, uh, what's the word? Gosh, dang it. The, like, the thing that led me to this idea, the facilitator, I don't know. I don't, I, it's not, it's not like I'm an English major or anything. I don't know anything about words or language. Um, but it's The Temple by H.P. Lovecraft, which is a short story about, so you'd obviously have to flesh it out a bit, but the story is, it follows this crew on a German submarine in World War One, who down a British carrier or a British ship um, and a body washes up onto the onto their submarine that has a little like carved face with him like a, a sort of trinket or something so they send the body off but somebody takes the trinket and then uh, basically everyone on the submarine starts going insane and they start sabotaging the submarine's systems until they can't navigate anywhere they can't move anywhere and they start sinking and people start killing each other off until they hit the bottom where there's only two guys left uh and they land in this like sunken city right next to a giant cave where rituals were presumably held once upon a time and then uh one of the two people who was left goes outside uh and is obviously never seen or heard from again and the last guy starts going even crazier until he puts on a diving suit and decides and starts thinking or does see lights in the city. So he puts on a diving suit and goes into the cave to see 
uh, what's happening. And it kind of ends on a cliffhanger, but I think this would be a great movie because I really like movies like that that are just about slowly building tension, especially ones that are set in like a single small cramped space as people start getting more and more anxious and more and more paranoid. And I'm really into Lovecraft's style of horror, the really cosmic, inexplicable stuff, which I think I've mentioned before. Um, so yeah, I think that if you flesh it out, because obviously it's only like 15 or so pages, so there's not a lot of, there's not really episodes of things happening, like somebody destroying a particular system and them trying to figure out who it was and also what to do to keep the submarine a livable space. And also I think that it would be better, it would have a better movie ending if you did actually learn what was in the cave and whether are not necessarily whether or not the guy was crazy, but to see something other than just it ends with him leaving the submarine. But yeah, I think that I think that it could be really cool, a really tense, slow burning uh, kind of gothic horror movie. Um, in terms of actors, they don't really have anything because there's not really characters per se, at least not as of yet. Like in the book, there's the person who's writing is just an unnamed captain who's leading the ship. But as far as directors are concerned, I think that John Carpenter could do this. Um, he's obviously with the thing. He's proved that he is capable of managing stakes and um, energy in an isolated space with a limited cast. So I think that with him in the director's chair and with some fleshing out of the story, I think it could be, I think it could be really cool. That, that does sound really cool, and I love horror movies that are set in kind of a different sort of time period or just a different setting, like the thing being set in Antarctica as opposed to something like Halloween that's just set on some residential street. The director that kind of came to my mind, and this was just partially because I was trying to think of other movies that were like a horror movie set in a different period – Dan, I can't pronounce his last, Trachenberg, Trachenberg, the man who directed uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane and Prey most recently. I think he could probably do a really good job because both of those movies, I mean, Prey is a horror movie set in a radically different time period like this sort of story. And 10 Cloverfield Lane, I think, has that sort of building tension of all of the different puzzle pieces of who is this? Is this guy lying? Is he telling the truth and stuff? So I think he could do a really great job. Yeah. But that story sounds, that story sounds great, Elliot. Wow. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm not going to get to books yet. I've got one last, um, maybe all my picks are kind of controversial things. And so I've got one more biopic, a historic, not a historical figure. He's still alive, but I would love to see someday, maybe 30, 40 years from now, a Kanye West biopic or a Kanye West sort of film. <laughs> Elliot. Goodbye, everyone else who is still listening. Come back soon. <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. What I so Kanye West is one of my favorite musicians of all time. I love his music, but I think what's really fascinating about him is how paradoxical his life and even kind of his values seem. And especially as he's gotten richer and seemingly more and more out of touch with reality and kind of the common man. It's fascinating to me how much he holds, he can say things that I deeply agree with about, and let me be like, things about the value in every human being, things about the importance of forgiveness and healthy living and moving forward and being good to people. He can say all these things and then he can still be right, anti-Semitic and say things that are just wildly untrue racist, wrong. And so I think a movie kind of delving into 
that question of how can a person hold both of these things true at the same time? How can a person go from, if you watched the Kanye West documentary that came out on Netflix last year, how can a person go from someone who in that documentary is so youthful and excited and passionate about these things and then slowly turn into the person that he's turned into? And I just think there's so many moments in Kanye's life that would just be so perfect for a film, stuff like the VMAs moment when he went on stage and let Taylor finish, Um, stuff like all of the Donda concerts that were incredibly cinematic. And obviously he kind of had a movie sort of idea of how they should be shot and done. I just think it would be fantastic Obviously, he is a wildly controversial and divisive figure. So that's why I said a movie 30-some years from now, when everyone is far enough removed from it that we can have a real critical analysis of kind of his life and who he was as a person. I don't have an actor in mind. I don't, if it does happen 20 to 30 years, this director would not be alive, but I would killed to see Martin Scorsese direct like a four hour long Kanye West movie. Cause I think Scorsese has a really good way of getting into the heads of people who are bad people, but kind of seeing where the human element of that bad nature is coming from. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mine. Elliot. <laughs> that would be, that would really be something. I think that Morgan Freeman should play Kanye West because uh, that would be funny. Um, CGI DH Morgan Freeman. No, not CGI DH. Just, just play. Just have Morgan Freeman at his current age play Kanye West. Uh, that sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to comment on that. I don't know anything about. Kanye West other than like he kind of is a bad person so whatever I've never listened to any of his music or anything like that um so yeah Nathan's the one you need to cancel not me I'm innocent in this affair but anyway moving on next up for me I've got a book by Stephen King called The Long Walk okay so there there is a movie in there there's a movie that's been in production hell for like decades of the long walk anyway that doesn't matter this is none of this is real um so long walk is a book by stephen king although it was written under one of his aliases i can't remember which one but it's about this competition where people uh essentially walk um they take a walk and will keep on going until they either until they die so until there's one person left who gets a big reward, who gets basically anything that is within the corporeal powers of this military dictator called the General to grant. Um, And everyone else, uh, everyone who falls over and then doesn't get up within like three seconds gets shot by a bunch of soldiers who are following behind them in a van, or they can like try to kill each other, nobody cares. Um, they have to eat while they're walking, they have to sleep while they're walking, they have to do their best to relieve themselves while they're walking, although that gets some people killed. Um, this is one of the lesser celebrated Stephen King stories, it's from earlier in his career, but I think it's a really creative premise, and Stephen King is very good, I think, at telling stories that seem like they have a lot of constrictions, like Misery, which is told, like, basically in a single room, uh, or this that is told uh, in, like, across three days just of people walking. And I certainly would not be able to fill, like, 300 or so pages of stuff happening within that context. But Stephen King can. I think that's one of the things that makes him such a talented writer. And this is just a really good, tense thriller story that I think could be a really good, tense thriller movie. I think that as far as directors go, it's this movie or this book doesn't really have a genre um, or like a really specific genre. 
I think that honestly, Frank Darabont, who's a big Stephen King ad- adapter, could do it. As far as actors are concerned, the main character is this kind of lanky, unassuming teenage boy who is the reason he's doing this is basically to get money for him and his mother. Um, so I think that he might be a little bit old, but Nicholas Holt, if made up properly, could do that. He's definitely a talented actor. Um, if not him, maybe like, hmm, hmm, somebody with a lot of intensity. Uh, so there's a lot of people I'm thinking of, but who are just too old, like Joaquin Phoenix. He's too old for that. But you could, I guess you could just like <laughs> change the age uh, or something. So I guess I don't really have a strong actor in mind. But yeah, there you go. Wow. That does sound that does sound kind of interesting. If you went to Indianola High School and you took the senior AP English or AP Lit something, some class read had to they would read the long the long walk and then they would do like a fake long walk day where they would have to walk so far on the trail in a certain amount of time because I remember people getting out of track practice for it. It's celebrated at Indianola High School, Elliot. That's weird. I, I The Long Walk is not a book that I would immediately pick for advanced placement. I mean, it's good. It's enjoyable and entertaining, but I don't know if I would call it like a really sophisticated work of literature. I don't know if it was AP Lit. I just know it was some literature class or some English class or something like that. I was homeschooled like you, so I am. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Now we're get we're getting to my books. This is a bit of a happier one, <laughs> I think. Uh so Elliot and I real quick shout out. We went to Blackberry last week. Fantastic movie. If it's in your area or if you see it two months from now on Netflix or something, absolutely watch it. Fantastic film. Probably going to talk about it more. It might make my end of the year list. We'll see. But coming out of it, I thought was thinking about how much I enjoyed these movies about tech sort of stuff. And it reminded me of this book that I read called The One Device, which is a book about the creation of the iPhone. And I think a movie uh, sort of adaptation of this book would be fascinating because the structure of the book is very interesting that it has one chapter. It goes every other where it'll do a chapter about some technological innovation that went into the iPhone, something like the gyroscopic camera, something like the glass that was on the phone to make it not scratch uh, the kind of interface of the phone, stuff like that. And then it would have a chapter detailing basically the modern effects of Apple's business model and kind of mentality that Apple very much sells itself on a very elitist sort of sense of its product that there's something better about owning an Apple than owning an Android. And there's something fancier about having right Apple products as co- compared to these other things. So I think a movie that would have two, like dueling storylines of the characters building the phone, these right clever people putting together everything that would make the iPhone, but then constantly jumping forward to show how this has affected society in some way. If there's like a vignette that you would have, oh, here's how they develop the camera, and then a vignette showing, right, what Instagram and social media and that sort of thing has done in some small way to society. And then how many right phones they need. And then jumping to like the book does the factory where they make the phones in China and how it's kind of unethically made in a sense, not in a sense it is unethically made, but I just think a movie, I'm not sure hundred percent sure how you would be able to do it. But I think a movie looking at both the innovation that went into the thing as well as the social after effects of it 
I think would be really fascinating, not even necessarily about the one to, about just the iPhone. I think any movie that looked at tech in that way could be fascinating, but because it's a book and because I've read this book, this is the one that I would want to go with. And probably just because it sounds like a very depressing movie already and because he directed The Social Network, David Fincher is the director who comes to mind, but. Yeah, I could see that. I think that he definitely goes for that kind of story, those kinds of characters. Uh, I was honestly thinking maybe like Danny Boyle. Uh, He's definitely into the like grittier, grimier side of life his movies are. I've honestly never really loved a movie of his that I've seen, but I think that his aesthetic fits with that kind of story or could be made to fit with that kind of story. But anyway, so that's interesting. I've never read that book, but Nathan talks about it a lot. And this is, uh, it does sound like an interesting story, albeit a sad one, but most interesting stories are sad. That's not even true. Uh, my next, I'm still in books. I think I'm going to be books for, or no, I own, I have one other thing than a book. My next book is The Game of Sunken Places. So this is a book Ooh. that we that we <laughs> yeah we have an interesting history with because uh, we uh. listened to it as an audiobook on vacation and it was freaky. It was this is a weird freaky book. Um, and then Nathan and I went on to read the rest of the series, and they don't exactly get any more <laughs> cheerful. But uh, they're all, well, I have mixed feelings on the last two, but the first two I think are really, really good and really well written. Um, So they're ostensibly children's books. I'd say maybe more like young adult books, uh, to be honest. But the first one follows this pair of friends, uh, Gregory and Brian, I believe are their names, (laughs) um, who go to... What Brian or no Gregory's uncle's house for a visit, uh, and end up in the game of sunken places, which is it's hard to describe. It's not like a board game, so it's not like Jumanji or anything, but it's a game about making it to this mountain that used to be inhabited by these two alien races who got into a fight over it, and eventually it was decided that who would control the mountain would be decided by this game that would be that will be played every like 10 or so years i think and whoever won it would design the next iteration of the game um so they've been different in past times uh they've been like one of them i think is described as like kind of running in a labyrinth to f- to save a princess this one is more like steampunk-ish gothic horror-ish so we're back with gothic horror although these days, I don't think it would be that scary. But it's just, it's like a lot of fairy tale creatures that you have to get around and get stuff from to make your way into the mountain and then uh, win for either the people of Norumbega or the, I can't remember what the other th- side is called. I keep on wanting to say the Thalmor, but that that's the elves from Skyrim. So that's definitely wrong. But anyway, um, this is a really creative book. It's got a really interesting setting. So I think there's there's a lot of potential for really striking visuals uh, in this mixture of nature and weird fairy tale animals and alien races. I mean, it's it's all going on. Uh, it's also very funny at times. Like the the two the banter between the friends is really funny and there are a lot there's a lot of like off-kilter humor. So I think that this would be a good pick for Jordan Peele. I think that he could, if he could just like get get over himself a little bit, I think that he could really make something special with this book. Interesting. Well, I just had a huge burst of nostalgia as soon as you said the name of that. That is a fantastic, fant- I would also love to see a movie about this. Specifically, the first two have such an interesting sense of horror and kind of, not Lovecraftian, but a sense of there's something hinky in the way things are happening and you can't really put your finger on it, but there's just something a little wrong. 
And there's a passage in Game of Sunken Places where a character describes like leaving his home that gets me weirdly emotional every time I read it. The two, the two directors that I thought of um, were Guillermo del Toro and Peter Jackson, just because the first one has a very fan, like fantasy-esque sort of through line. And I think especially del Toro has a really interesting vision of fairy tales that are a bit hinky, a bit weird, a bit different. So those were the two directors I thought, but that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be awesome. I love those books. Wow. Yeah, I thought about Del Toro, but I just, I just don't have enough confidence in him as a director. Sorry. I do. I do. I lo- I'm a Del Toro defender. All right. Here we go. Here's here's my next one. This is uh, also a book series, although I think you could really just do the first one. And Ellie, I'm not sure if you read these, but it's Earth Unaware, which was eventually a trilogy, but the first one is just Earth Unaware. It's a prequel to Ender's Game, but it is really almost completely divorced from the world of Ender's Game. So I think you could honestly probably just do a standalone thing because like they don't mention almost anything that shows up in Ender's Game. But I just think that this first book, Earth Unaware, is such a fantastically grounded and interesting science fiction story that it follows mostly this mining ship that I, if I'm remembering correctly, discovers the alien invasion force that's coming to Earth. And there's quite a bit of intrigue in terms of them deciding what they should do. I, if, I, I think the mining people don't really feel a huge connection to Earth, so there's a decent debate of them, like, why, like, why should we even put effort into warning Earth? We don't care. As long as the aliens don't bother us, we'll be fine out here in the mining belt. And then it kind of becomes a bit of a survival story as they decide to help and they send a guy on what's essentially a lifeboat in space, like the most stripped back space station, spaceship possible. But I just, it's a fantastic science fiction story. It would be really small scale. If you think of something like, um, I haven't seen it, but from my understanding, something like Moon is like this or something like, oh gosh, almost the Martian-esque, I guess. But with more science fiction elements. Uh, So I don't have a director for this one, but I just think this would be such an interesting and fascinating. And I love science fiction stories that are not necessarily, you know, they're just set in a sci-fi world, but then it's a very interesting, more human sort of story. So that's mine. Did you read this book? Yeah, I did read those books. I also enjoyed them quite a bit. Um, yeah, it would be hard to do a trilogy of them because the other, the latter two, or no, the former two are a lot more War of the Worlds than they are The Martian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I think that that could I think that could really work. The director that popped into my mind was Neil Blomkamp because that's very much his style oh. is these grounded science fiction stories, and I know that he struggled to recapture his um, District Nine. Or District 19? District 9? I'm pretty sure it's District, District 9. District 9, yeah, I think. Yeah, District 9 magic. But I think that that's definitely up his alley, that kind of story. Um, plus, the way that uh, Orson Scott Card describes the aliens honestly does remind me a bit of the, whatever they're called, the, the prawns in District 9. So there you go. But yeah, that's an interesting, interesting little pick. Um, so I, my last book here is actually a comic book and people have kicked around this, this, I'm not the first person to suggest this, but, uh, this is Batman, the court of owls. Um, so in my younger days, I was a big superhero fan. I, I, I'm not anymore, but I was really big into comics and I do have 
a very modest collection of Batman comics, and one of my favorites was always Court of Owls. It was the first run of Batman's New 52 um, solo run, uh, and the Court of Owls is just a clandestine. It's essentially the Illuminati, but if they only lived in Gotham and only cared about what happened there. Um, but their design is really interesting. Uh, their story is really interesting. It's a lot, it's very psychological because the Court of Owls is obviously clandestine. They don't want to be figured out. So there's a lot of Batman sort of doubting himself and doubting whether or not what he's seeing is even real. And yeah, they challenge him more intellectually than physically, which I think is always interesting for villains to do uh, when you have a more physical hero. Obviously, Batman's a very smart character, but he is his main method of interacting with his enemies is violence-based. Uh, so this is a, a more, a more sort. It's a different road for the character that I think could be really well done. And obviously, it being a comic book, there's a lot of built-in really cool imagery uh, that a director could capture. And honestly, I don't see any reason why Matt Reeves couldn't do it in his uh, thing. Obviously, I don't expect him to do it because the because comic book movies, especially these days, have definitely moved away from adapting specific storylines and more just like telling their own stories with recognizable characters. So you could ostensibly have the Court of Owls in a Batman movie someday, but it wouldn't be adapting this specific story, which I think is a is a real shame because I think it's a legitimately well-written, interesting story that has a lot of cat and mouse between Batman and the court. Interesting, interesting. Well, I, I'll group these two sort of together, and this is kind of the last uh, one that I have is I thought long and hard about, I've read most of the Star Wars books that have been released. And so I thought for quite a while about what, which of them I think should be or could be adapted into a, a full film. And I the two that really jumped down at me that I would love to see adapted that I'm assuming never will just because I don't, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to adapt a book that's already in your canon. That seems unlikely. But the two are, and they're both in the current canon. So I'd recommend these if you're a Star Wars fan looking to get into the current canon of books. These are both very good ones. But Lost Stars and Phasma are two very good, interesting kind of standalone stories set in the Star Wars universe. Lost Stars is about kind of two uh, star-crossed lovers. They grow up on the same planet, and then they both join the Empire together and then uh, get separated. They One of them joins the Rebellion, and one stays with the Empire, and then they kind of, their paths cross at important junctures over the course of the original trilogy and then right after the original trilogy. But it's a really fascinating book. I think it's a really good look at kind of the nitty gritty of how the Empire and the Rebellion appealed to the people who were in those things, how the Empire appealed to people who joined the Empire and how the Rebellion got people to join their side. Uh, if you think of something like Andor, it would be a similar sort of style, albeit over a much longer period of time. And then Phasma is just a fascinating book of the origins of the Phasma character who was criminally underutilized in the new trilogy. She gets fairly unceremoniously killed off in one of them. But the book is a really interesting look. She's a very interesting character from the book that never gets translated into the screen. And the book would just be a really cool survival story of her trying to get off her kind of original planet that's this disgusting i think it was like a desert planet with all these nasty animals and stuff but those two would be really sick star wars movies that will never get made because we just get silly spin-offs of nothingness forever i love star wars by the way <laughs> huh um i have read lost stars i don't remember being particularly impressed with it but to each their own um, and then, yeah, I, I don't, I never read 
Phasma, so I can't speak to that. Uh, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, as we all know, so I can't share Nathan's enthusiasm for new Star Wars material. Um, so we're just going to have to call this one a wash. Uh, I've got one more here. Uh, I'm stepping out, and this is like definitely the most, for me, it's the most out there option, because I'm not 100% sure how you would do this, but I just had to include Bloodborne, uh, a Bloodborne movie. Bloodborne is a video game. Uh, It's my favorite game. It's one of the From Software games, so if you didn't know, they make uh, challenging action RPGs with sort of, with very recognizable aesthetics and kind of obscure oblique storytelling um bloodborne takes place it's very steampunk it takes place mostly in a gothic victorian man gothic all over the place with me victorian era city um in that has discovered uh blood transfusion which is essentially where you trans you inject yourself with the blood of this um alien race of godlike beings called the old ones um and it can heal most ailments it can make people it can make people all really strong and cool but it also turns them into monsters eventually uh so the <laughs> idea behind the story is that you are a hunter who hunts the beasts that this blood turns people into uh it's there's a lot of really fascinating lore behind it um there's a lot of cosmic Lovecraftian, honestly, I would describe it as Lovecraftian uh, elements with the alien race of gods, uh, just the gothic aesthetic of it. Uh, man, the weapons are so cool. The design, the outfits are so cool. There's not really a lot of characters per se, but I think that you could tell a story of a hunter on a hunt, hunting a specific beast, while also learning more about the true nature of this task that he's been set on and meeting some of the important characters in this story who have uh, built up the world that you end up inhabiting. It would definitely be hard. I, I Obviously, it's never going to be made. It's never actually going to be made. But in terms of director, and this is also kind of an out-there choice, but I thought maybe Denis Villeneuve could do a slow-burning kind of uh, visuals-heavy, well-shot movie with explosive bouts of well-choreographed, well-choreographed action. Kind of like he'd... It would kind of be like... In terms of styles, it would be a mixture of Dune and Blade Runner 2049. But also with a more steampunk, Lovecrafty aesthetic. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have another director for that. I would love to see that and i guess sort of the vibe i was thinking was almost like the castlevania tv series the castlevania show that it would be something similar to that that the castlevania games have very little story but then the show does a very good job of establishing some of the lore of doing a very good tale and i want to say there's you've read the comic books of bloodborne and those Mm -hmm. are just kind of a standalone like here's a hunter going on a hunt thing. Yeah, that would be dope. I also love Bloodborne. And I think of all of the from software games that I've played at least, which is all of Dark Souls and Elden Ring, as well as I it's the one with sort of the most explicit story besides Sekiro. But it has just such an incredible aesthetic and it would be just be so dope. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Great pick, Elliot. See, that's how you be supportive of your co-host. Ugh, <laughs> oh, whatever, Nathan. Although I, I will say that you looped back around to alienating our audience by bringing us back to video games. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Well, you know what they say. You know what I say. Life is hard and full of disappointments. But I would say, in terms of like, in terms of recommendations, I would say I recommend everything on these lists. You know, read the One Device, read about Trotsky or Tolstoy, read the Long Walk or the Temple, play Bloodborne, 
maybe watch Seventh Seal if you're up for that kind of thing. Seventh Seal is fine. I I think I like Seventh Seal more than you, although I do agree with your critiques, like I said. But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this was fun. I had a lot of fun with this one, especially seeing some of the stuff that Elliot would like to see made really shows he's got a real gothic horror sort of streak. He really loves that sort of stuff. Yeah. I feel like a lot of mine were kind of pulpy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Feel free to send us our thoughts. What's a movie you would love to see made? (laughs) Let us know in the comments. But yeah, if you have any directors that you thought of when we were doing this, feel free to, you know, text me or Elliot or I guess let us know somehow like, hey, you missed this director. That would be fun. Otherwise, we'll be back next week with two episodes. We're going to have a double header next week. We'll release two episodes to celebrate one year of the Magellans at the Movies podcast. Uh, we're very, we're really excited to watch the movies. I'm excited to watch both of them. Elliot's excited to watch one of them. And then I think less excited to watch the other one. <laughs> He's making a face. But yeah, yeah so. I, I'm I'm interested in, I'm interested in rewatching the movie that you're talking about. <laughs> okay, well, good deal. There we go. We're excited to watch both of them. We're excited to bring them to you. Uh, We hope you have a great week besides that. And thank you for listening to this latest episode.